Thank you so much, Pastor. Let me invite you to take your Bible tonight and turn with me to the book of Ruth in chapter number four. The book of Ruth in chapter number four, and I'd like to begin reading in Ruth four, verse number 10. Ruth chapter four and verse number 10. And what a, what a joy it is to be in God's house with God's people tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness to him. And I, I know some of you had to go through, fight through some traffic, and thankfully the weather's a little better for driving anyway tonight. And and I appreciate the effort. You know, I know the old one, the old wicked one can come up with plenty of excuses uh, why we don't need to be in God's house. And I know the old, the old wicked one doesn't even have to. Our flesh is pretty good at that as well. And yeah, you've made a choice to be in God's house tonight with God's word and God's people. And, and um, I trust the Lord will richly bless you for it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, there's so many wonderful things about that. And we honor the Lord who died for us and magnify him. But, uh, you know, it turns around right back to us, doesn't it? And when we honor him, there's great joy in that. There's great pleasure in that. And, and uh, like you love to buy gifts for your children or you love to buy a gift for your loved one. It's, it's when you can do something for the Lord to honor him. Um, more than anything, it just seems like it's just a blessing to do that, isn't it? And my, that we can be in the harvest field serving our king. What a privilege that is. Thank you so much for your labors tonight. You have your Bible to the book of Ruth and chapter number four. Ruth chapter number four. My, what a story it is, the story of this godly lady Ruth. From the country of Moab, now she stands at the crossroads of decision. And with no future and no explanations, with no contracts and no guarantees, Ruth says, it's my life for the will of God. I will go where God wants me to go, no matter what it costs, no matter what it takes. I am living my life for the will of God, and I will die where he wants me to die. I, she puts her life on the line. All to her Savior she surrenders. And then we read last night the story is how Ruth comes to the city of Bethlehem and, and an empty stomach meets up with that woman of character. And the Bible tells us that God begins to work behind the scenes. The Bible word is her hat because Ruth went out that day thinking, I need somebody that will show me grace. But the God of heaven knew that she needed a redeemer. And that's what we read in Ruth chapter 4 tonight. Uh, a redeemer in the Bible in Old Testament Israel was somebody that would bail out a family that was in trouble. Sometimes, and this is the story of the book of Ruth, when there was a famine in the land, a man would have to sell his family plot, his family farmland. And if it got really serious, a man might even sell himself into slavery. It certainly was serious business. But you know, when a family was in trouble, and if you want a family in trouble, well, this Elimelech family is in big trouble now. A woman is returned all by herself, a widow woman. There is nobody to carry on the family name. The property has been sold to somebody else. She is in desperate need of a redeemer that will step forth. A redeemer in the Old Testament had many responsibilities, but, but there were two great responsibilities. That redeemer first had to be of the kin. It had to be the family. So when you are reading in the book of Ruth the word kinsman, it is referring to a family member, a kinsman who's a redeemer. But the redeemer with two great responsibilities. First, if the land had been sold, it was his responsibility to purchase the land, to buy the land again and get it back in the family. Even more desperate if a man had sold himself into slavery. It was the job of the Redeemer to buy the man and set him free. 
So we might say that it was the job of the Redeemer to buy the land and to buy the person, to get it back into the family where God intended it to be. Well, you know, when Ruth went out to get a bite to eat that day, little did she know what the day would bring. She goes out thinking, I need the Lord to give me this day my daily bread. I need the Lord to provide somebody who's gracious, somebody that will look with favor on this foreigner, somebody that will look with favor on a woman who is hungry. She said, I need somebody who will show me grace. But before the day is done, the Bible tells us that she is going to meet her Redeemer. What a special story it is. If you're able physically tonight, could I invite you to stand together with me as we go to Ruth chapter 4 in verse number 10. In Ruth chapter 4, a man by the name of Boaz is about ready to redeem the land, but he's also going to redeem the lady. Ruth 4 verse number 10, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Father, I pray you would help us tonight. May the word of God speak to every single heart and every single life. And, and Lord, I pray that your people would revel in the fact that we have a great Redeemer. Father, for someone perhaps in this building tonight who doesn't understand how desperate the condition they are in, who doesn't even perhaps understand how the wages of sin is death, how serious is this business of sin, I pray that you would impress upon them tonight the great need of their heart. They need a Redeemer. So, Lord, would you be magnified? Would you do your work in our hearts tonight? We pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Ringing in the ears of that little lady Ruth are the words of Boaz in Ruth chapter 3, verse number 10. He said, Now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, uh, that if he will perform unto thee the part of the kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. My, those words are ringing in the ears of Ruth. That night, the Bible tells us Boaz said, tomorrow, tomorrow, this thing will be settled. He said, somebody is going to be Ruth's redeemer. There is a kinsman, a member of the family that is going to buy the lady and he is going to buy the land. And you know what a promise that must have been for Ruth, for all of her fears and all of her doubts. When that lady stood at the crossroads and said, I don't care the cost, I don't care the price. My life for the will of God. Now the Bible tells us in front of her was a man named Boaz who said, I will be the Redeemer. And you know what a Redeemer Boaz would turn out to be. What a great word is that word, Redeemer. And you know there's great reasons to love Boaz as you read the book of Ruth. What a tremendous man he was. He had such sterling character. You know, we are reminded that he would tell Ruth and say, All the city doth know thou art a virtuous woman. Everybody knew that Ruth was virtuous. But you know, Boaz was an incredibly virtuous man. 
What a sterling reputation that he had. There are so many things to love about this man, Boaz. But you know, for me at least, at the top of the list, and I suspect for you as well, the thing we love most about Boaz is that he is an incredibly great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes students of the Bible will call it a type, an example. And you know, when you look at the life of Boaz, my, you can make a pretty impressive list as to how many different ways Boaz pictures my Savior, how many different ways we read the book of Ruth, and we see this mighty man, Boaz, and our attention is turned to Calvary. My own personal list, well, it had 26 different ways where Boaz gives us a great description, a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a few of those. I, just like my Savior, the Lord Jesus, Boaz came from Bethlehem. I, like my Savior, the Bible says Boaz was a mighty man. Like my Savior, the Bible tells us he was rich. Like my Savior, he loved the common man and the common man loved them as well. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, he loved her before she loved him. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the giver of the bread of life. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, he was a man of great grace. I mean, you can go on and on. It seems like every verse that you see Boaz, you find another wonderful example, a wonderful picture of my Savior, the Lord Jesus. But you know, of all those types and of all those examples, uh, probably none rises higher in the book of Ruth than those mighty words of Ruth chapter 3, verse number 13. I will be your kinsman redeemer. If the other gentleman won't, then I will be your redeemer. Well, that must have been quite the night, and I don't suppose but that Ruth was oh, the first one excited. And the next morning as they make their way to the city gates, it is time to find out who the Redeemer is going to be. You know, it's one more reason just to love Boaz. I mean, I love the fact that there's no manipulating here. There is no playing of games. You know, he doesn't lawyer up. I mean, everywhere you look, Boaz is so upfront and he is so honest. And he looks at Ruth and says, you need to know that though I am able to be your redeemer, I'm of your family, there is somebody that's even closer. Could I put it like this tonight? There is somebody that's got first dibs, somebody that has to make the first choice. So tomorrow we'll meet that somebody and we'll see if he will be the redeemer. But if he will not redeem you, if he will not buy the land and get it back in your family, if he will not buy the lady and set her free, then Boaz says, I will be the redeemer. You know, as you read Ruth in chapter 4, I, I can't help but wonder where Ruth is in this story. You know, the Bible doesn't say, so it's one man's guess, I suppose, but, but it would be hard to imagine that Ruth wasn't the first one at the city gate. And I can imagine Ruth watching all the proceedings and, and watching everything take place and, and why when that other gentleman said that he would not play the part of the kinsman redeemer, it was time for Boaz to step forth. It was time for Boaz to cut the deal. It was time for Boaz to be the redeemer. Would you notice how this plays out in Ruth chapter 4 verse number 7? Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, meaning changing a property. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. This was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Well, they had quite an unusual way of cutting a deal back then. I got to tell you, I do believe I like their way better than I like our way. 
I mean, there's some of us old people here tonight, some of us grandparents. We can actually remember the day when two men would stick out their hand and shake hands. And that was good enough for the deal. If a man gave his word and if a man gave a handshake, well, you couldn't ask for anything better than that. Now you know what it's like. You know, don't you love to buy a piece of property or whatever you do and you, you sit in some office, you know, and the paperwork's about that high. There's about 800 times you got to sign your name. And what I love is when the agent says, you understand what you're signing, don't you? Oh, yeah, of course I do. Yeah, sure. Everybody does. And, and you just keep signing your name, signing your name, and, and you never know exactly what you're doing. And of course, even now, you can sign 800 pages of documents, but somehow there's still fine print, isn't there? And somehow there's a technicality. And somehow it just seems like the good old consumer is going to lose every single time. No, it seems like nowadays you got to have contracts this high. In the old days, a man's word was his bond. A handshake said it all. Well, what used to be a handshake in Bible times was exchanging a shoe. So if somebody cut a deal, well, what they would do is the gentleman, in this case, this fellow at the city gate, he would hand over his shoe. And that way, if he ever tried to renege on the deal and say, no, 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 we didn't agree to that, well, the party could say, then how come I've got your sandal? How come I've got your shoe? You know, I've often wondered, as that gentleman hands over the shoe, and Boaz says to the city, you all realize now, this man had first dibs, but he doesn't want the land. He doesn't want the lady. I'm going to redeem the land, and I'm going to redeem the lady. You have to understand, as the gentleman hands over the shoe, Boaz must have held that thing up. I don't know, but maybe he handed it right over to Ruth. And what a special moment that would have been. But I always wonder, whatever happens to that shoe? I mean, I may be just guessing here, but do you think there might be a museum in heaven? And maybe we could take a walk through the museum. Wouldn't it be great to see that shoe? I kind of like that kind of thing. I mean, maybe, I don't know, uh, oh, I suppose David's sling might be there, you think? I mean, couldn't it be great to go through a museum in heaven and perhaps the widow's might would be there? Then again, that would be an impossible because there's about 4 million people in the world that have the widow's might, you know. They sell them in Israel, so you couldn't have that. But you got the idea. I, I sure hope that's true. And I don't know, but I, I think that God could find a way. And, and it'd be awfully special to go and see that shoe. But whether you could go see that shoe or I could, I'll tell you what, that shoe was especially precious to Ruth. And I don't suppose but that she got that shoe and put it in a special place. I, that shoe became the centerpiece of their family. And every time Ruth had a doubt, and every time Ruth had a worry, and every time Ruth felt alone, all she had to do was take a gaze at that shoe and remember the day when somebody else had first dibs, when the man Boaz and all his sterling character and decency and honesty said, if he won't, then I will redeem you. And now he has the shoe. Now the rights have been handed over. What a moment in time that is. You might say that shoe could well have become a family memorial to Ruth. And that's a good thing. I, I always find it impressive that when the children of Israel were passing through the, the for example, the Jordan, or, or they came in the promised land, there were times when God had them build memorials. I, I mean, all it usually was was just a pile of rocks somewhere, and, and yet as you would go out to the flat desert, all of a sudden to look and see a strange monument, a, a pile of rocks piled high to the sky. But you know, the Lord had them do that, and there was a purpose behind it, because God said in Joshua that they would come that, that your children would see that pile of stones and they would say, Dad, what is that all about? 
And you know the stones would be a memorial, a reminder. And when that dad saw those stones, he would say there was a great work that God did here. The generations to come could see that pile of stones and remember the mighty work that God had done. Memorials are a good thing, especially to us people that are so prone to forget. I remember years ago we first started in evangelism. Uh, we were preaching a meeting in the state of Wisconsin. We were in the home of a gentleman for lunch one day, and, and just a gracious guy, just a wonderful guy, just a, just a tender-hearted fellow. And he was one of those guys, not that very tall, kind of wide, but it was all kind of muscle. And I mean, just one of those fellows you look at, and you'd say, I'm glad the Lord saved him. It wouldn't take too much imagination to look at the guy and think if he wasn't saved, he could be a real problem. And indeed, he was. We walked into his house, and and the first thing I noticed, kind of strange, but I had over the fireplace, there was a homemade plaque. And I looked up at that plaque over the fireplace, and it was the thing you really had never seen before. Kind of had two sides on it. On, on one side, there was a Bible verse. If memory serves correct, uh, I believe it was that classic verse for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That wasn't the unusual thing. You see that in a lot of Christian homes. But on the other side of that plaque, it was unusual. There was a rusty old beer can. Now, I got to tell you, I kind of stood there, walked in that first thing I saw, I went over, and you don't see that in a lot of Christian homes, a Bible verse and a beer can. And I was kind of staring at that for a while, and he saw me staring at it, and he came over, we started up a conversation, and of course, I had to ask him, what's that old beer can doing in your house? He said, well, and it, kind of a tender-hearted guy, you know, and he said, well, he said, I got to tell you, before I was saved, I was the worst drunk in this little town. My wife was afraid of me. My children were afraid of me. My life was a complete disaster. But you know, one day the Lord reached down in mercy and the Lord saved me and the Lord pulled me out of the pit of sin. I was once the worst drunk in town. But he said, when Jesus saved me, well, I guess it's kind of like he had a taste of the living water. He didn't need any more of the devil's water. But now he said, the Lord saved me, and what a change he made in my life. Soon I was baptized, a member of a Bible-preaching church, and, and why the Lord gave me victory over that bottle long ago. But he said, you know what, and he's just a tender-hearted guy now, he said, you know what, I wanted to make sure I would never forget what the Lord had done for me. So he said, one day I took a little walk, and I found that old beer can on the side of the street. He said, I went in my wood shop, and I made that little plaque. And he said, every time I look up at that beer can and that Bible verse, he said, I remember what I used to be, and now I thank the Lord for what I am today. But then he said this. He said, every visitor that comes into this house, every visitor, they look at that beer can and they ask me the story. He said, every time they visit, I have a chance to give them my testimony. I got to tell you, there's some wisdom in that from an old farmer type guy. There's some great wisdom. I used to serve the bottle. Now I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What a family memorial that is. God had them do it throughout the Old Testament. It's a great idea to build a memorial. That's what I used to be. This is what I am today. And I wonder if that old shoe didn't find its way on the mantle in their house. I wonder if there weren't a time and a time and again when Ruth looked at that old shoe and said, Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you. 
What a special thing that shoe was. Because that shoe was a great reminder to that Lady Ruth that when she stood at the crossroads and said, My life for God's will, no matter the cost, no matter the price, I counted all but lost just to live for the will of God, that God took care of her every step of the way. And one day Boaz stepped forth and said, I will be the kinsman redeemer. What a great thing it is to be redeemed. I suppose if we could bring Ruth back through time and eternity tonight and invite her to this platform at Grace Baptist Church and, and a brother White would say, Miss Ruth, would you please give us your story? Would you please give us your testimony? You know, I don't know if she'd have a favorite song in our songbook, but I've got to guess one of her favorites would go like this. I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. I got to tell you, it's a great thing when the Lord redeems us and he pulls us out of the bondage of sin, slavery to sin, and he sets us free. And yet Ruth has a picture of redemption that you and I could only imagine. So if Brother White could invite her here tonight and with a smile on her face, she could say, since I have been redeemed, everything changed when I got a redeemer. I think with a smile on her face, she could explain redemption in a beautiful way. I wonder if she wouldn't stand here tonight and say, let me tell you what happened when I was redeemed. First, she'd probably tell us, since I have been redeemed, I have a new family. I have a new family. Would you look to Ruth chapter 4, verse number 10? It was the moment and time, that critical moment, where Boaz stood up and said, moreover, Ruth. And we are reminded, and by the way, this is the last and the final time we are reminded, it is Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, very formal names. We are in a contract here. Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. And in that split moment of time, I, Ruth, had just been placed into a brand new family. I, Ruth, has been redeemed. Ruth has got a new family now. It pretty much describes what happens that moment we're saved, isn't it? You know, there's so many wonderful words that talk about a child of God and talk about that moment that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, one of the great words is that when somebody calls on the name of the Lord, they're saved. I mean, they're rescued. Somebody dying in sin. Somebody a heartbeat away from hell, and yet when they call on the mighty Savior, He saves them and rescues them. What a great picture that is. I love the wonderful picture of John 1, 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Isn't that what the Lord was telling old Dr. Nicodemus, the great theologian that day? When old Dr. Nicodemus slipped out of the city late at night and he comes up with the reverend speech. You know how the reverends do it. Rabbi, we know this and that and the other thing. And, and I love the fact that Jesus didn't play reverend games. I, the Lord just looked them square in the eyeballs and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Sir, you are in the wrong family, and you cannot go to heaven until you're born into the right family. How are you born into the right family? Receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when somebody believes on the Lord Jesus, and they receive Him as Savior, the Bible tells us they're born into the family of God. They are adopted into the family of God. They become the sons. They become the daughters. They become the children of God. I'll tell you, Ruth's got a wonderful picture of that, doesn't she? It's kind of like somebody who's been adopted. You know, down in my heart, I, I grew up in a wonderful Christian family. But I've always had this sneaky little thing for somebody who's been adopted. You know, they just have an understanding of salvation that I really am never going to have until I get to heaven. 
There's just something special. I don't know if anybody here has been adopted, but it's kind of like that little boy was in school one day and his buddies knew he was adopted and they were giving him a hard time and they were laughing at him until finally that little fellow looked at his friends. He said, hey, your parents had to have you. My parents wanted to have me. And you know, there's just something special about that. There's just something special about a God that would look down at somebody like me and say, there's a sinner who deserves to go to hell. I mean, I said, thou shalt, and he said he wouldn't do it. And God said, thou shalt not, and I just decided I would. And for all of those tens of hundreds of thousands of rebellious sins against God, that somehow God would look down and say, despite all of that, I love him so much I gave my only begotten son to die on a cross for him. And there's just something special about that. And God would say, it's not just that I want you in my family. It's not just that I want you to take my name. It's not just that I want you to have the adoption of sons. That's a wonderful thing. But, but to make it even more incredulous, well, it would be Romans chapter 5, where scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Her adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. I mean, if I had some kind of goodness, if I had some kind of righteousness that would impress God, well, perhaps there'd be a reason for him to adopt me into his family. But that's the more incredible thing, isn't it? He knew everything about me, and yet, yet the Bible says, but God commended his love towards us, and that not while we were yet righteous, or while we were yet religious, or while we were yet good, Oh, God knows the truth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wants me and his family. He wants you and his family. He wants you and his family so much. He went to the extent that he so loved the world. I love that phrase. It doesn't just say he loved the world. He so loved the world. So he gave his only begotten, his uniquely born, his one and his only son. He gave Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. That's how badly he wants you and how badly he wants a sinner like me to be rescued and saved and in his family. I'll tell you what a wonderful moment in time when Ruth heard those words, I will be the kinsman. But what a better moment in time it was in Ruth chapter 4, verse number 10, where Boaz turns to the assembled throng. Boaz turns to the elders, the witnesses that have gathered. He says, the whole city of Bethlehem is here. And you all know that I have just purchased, I have just redeemed that woman. She is now in my family. And Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth who had to be thinking two days earlier, forget marriage, all I want is a bite to eat tomorrow. All of a sudden, Ruth has just been adopted. Ruth has just been redeemed. She's got a redeemer now. Since I have been redeemed, Ruth would smile and say, I've got a brand new family. But notice number two, I think if she were here tonight, Ruth would smile and say, since I have been redeemed, I've got a new family. But also, number two, I have a new fortune. Go back, if you would, to Ruth 2 and verse number 1, if you would, for a moment. And, and here's some more of those wonderful reasons to love Boaz. In 2 and 1, it says, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. And notice our introduction to Mr. Boaz. The Bible says he's a mighty man. Now, we have mighty man of wealth in our Bible, and, and yet there might be two pictures here. Mighty man might well refer to a military man. And that might explain some things. Because when you come to Ruth chapter 4, you get the idea I know this is a word that gets twisted a bit, but you get the idea he had some gravitas, you know. 
I mean, Ruth shows up in the city gate. I'm sorry, Boaz shows up in the city gate. And as soon as he starts talking, it just seems like everybody starts listening. I mean, he's got no problem, so to speak, snapping his fingers, and he's got a quorum of ten witnesses. I mean, it just seems like the whole city wants to come. One of those guys, when he starts talking, everybody gets silent, you know? There just seems to be some composure. There just seems to be a presence about him. And maybe that's what we have in Ruth 2, verse number 1. He was a mighty man, a military man. I, perhaps that describes some of the reason. Not only a mighty man, the Bible says he was a mighty man of wealth. So he's a mighty man, and he is a wealthy man. I mean, an incredibly wealthy man, it would appear. So the Bible tells us, here's this great man, here is this mighty man, and here is this man who is a rich man. And the Bible tells us that in a moment of time, I mean, it would be hard to imagine somebody poorer than Ruth. Now, Naomi is the one singing the blues, you know. She is the one who comes home saying, I went out full and I came back empty and I am broke and I am helpless and I am hopeless and I have nothing. Well, if those things were true about Naomi, multiply it by a hundred or so and you'll have the story of Ruth. Because for all the problems that the widow Naomi had, well, the widow Ruth had the same problems, except she also had an additional problem, didn't she? You might have missed this, but she is Ruth the Moabitess. And that made it a lot worse. Amazing how Ruth never cries, never complains, because if she could trust the Lord in Ruth 1.16, she's going to trust him every step of the way. But imagine, a day earlier, this is one of the poorest people you could imagine. It is a woman who virtually has absolutely nothing. It's a woman who wakes up one day, basically, I'm so hungry, and nobody's going to help me. I don't even know where the next meal's coming from, but I'm just going to go out there and see if there's some leftover crop left out in the barley harvest, and maybe I can scrounge enough to fill a hungry stomach for one day at a time. And a day later, she is being married to Boaz. She has just gone from being poverty-stricken to being one of the wealthiest women in the whole city. She's got a new fortune now. You talk about a redeemer. Well, we have a redeemer, and when he washed our sins away, I, he adopted us into his family. We're born again into the family of God. But you know, the Bible also tells us that we become heir to a fortune. Romans chapter 9, verse 23, that he may make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. I believe it's six times in the New Testament. The Bible makes reference to the riches of glory, the riches of his glory. And, you know, we can preach about that and talk about that and sing about that or even think about that. Good luck with that, though. I don't think this feeble mind has got anywhere near the IQ to begin to imagine what the riches of his glory are actually like. I got to tell you, folks, every human picture that tries to paint that, it just goes by the boards. I mean, even the God of heaven tries to come up with an illustration for us feeble humans. Uh, he owns the cattle in a thousand hills. He owns all the wealth in every mine. I'll tell you, folks, we can't even imagine what the riches and glory truly are. Yet in Romans 8 and verse 17, the Bible says that if children, if you and I have been born into his family, if you and I are redeemed and now we're in the family of God, if we are the children, of God and the family of God, then the Bible says we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What a stunning thing to consider. 
since I have been redeemed, we can join Ruth and say, I've got a new family now. I'm adopted into the family of God. Since I have been redeemed, it, it, you know, that's why the old songwriter said, a tent or a cottage, why do I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing. Oh, glory to God, I'm a child of the King. You might not be the richest man or lady in Surrey, British Columbia tonight. You may say, preacher, there's not a whole lot in the bank. There's not a whole lot of food in the freezer. I mean, it may be so desperate, you're even a Bible college student. <laughs> that is about the definition of poor, brother, in the dictionary. And yet, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, brother, you and I are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't even begin to comprehend, to describe. We can't even begin to explain what it means to be joint heirs with him. It was years ago that a rather wealthy fellow was driving through some pretty poor country and he came across a dilapidated old house and I guess this was long ago in the past in the days where you could do something like this. And he got out of the car because he saw a little fella tossing a ball up against the wall and, and he started up a conversation with that little guy. And somewhere in the course of the conversation, he said, son, he said, I feel so badly you live in a house like this. And there's no glass in the windows, you know, the roof looks like it leaks. I mean, this thing's ready to fall apart. I feel so badly you live here. Well, that little guy looked up at his new friend. He looked up at his house. He looked back at his new friend. He said, excuse me, sir. He said, I think there's something here you don't understand so well. He said, come with me. And he brought him to the side of the house. He pointed to a hill. He said, sir, do you see that hill over there? He said this, just up yonder on the other side of that hilltop, my daddy is building a brand new house for me and a brand new house for my mama. He said, you don't have to feel badly for me. We only have a few more nights to go in this old shack. And then we're moving up yonder over that hill. Well, the gentleman drove away with that story in his heart. He told it to a Texas preacher, a gentleman by the name of Iris Stanfill. It was Mr. Stanfill who wrote it like this. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransomed will shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. Though often tempted and tormented and tested, and like the prophet, my pillow is stone. And though I find here no permanent dwelling, I know he'll give me a mansion my own, so don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged, I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of that city. I want a mansion. Could I help Mr. Stanfill a little bit? He said he wanted a mansion, a harp, and a crown. Well, well, I'm sorry, but when you go to heaven, you don't automatically start playing the harp. And by the way, you don't sprout wings either. The only way you play a harp in heaven is if you take harp lessons. So let me help out a Texas preacher. They need help. He said, I want a mansion, a harp. Well, I'd rather have a mansion, a home, and a crown. There we go. I've got a mansion just over that hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder, well, that's a good southern word, someday yonder we will never more wander but walk on a street that is pure as gold. Hey, Ruth could stand here tonight and say, let me tell you what happened since I have been redeemed. I woke up that one morning, the poorest of the poor. I woke up that day wondering where the next meal was coming from. I walked out of the house saying, today, some daily bread. I walked out of the house saying, I need a miracle. I need somebody that will show grace to a Moabitess. And by the end of the day, my, it was more than a miracle. She had a redeemer. 
Ruth would say, since I have been redeemed, I've got a new family now. Since I have been redeemed, I have a new fortune now. How about this? Since I have been redeemed, I have a new fame. Look again, if you would, to Ruth chapter 4, verse number 10. Mofa Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. Watch what happens now. To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren from the gate of this place. Ye are witnesses this day. The family was about to be annihilated, but no, no, God swooped in, and in the mighty mercies of God, God provided just the right redeemer. And when Miss Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, well, the Bible tells us not only was that family saved, but that family would become famous. Sure enough. The Bible says in verse 11 that all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, and this is interesting, isn't it? We are witnesses. I mean, here's Boaz standing there and said, I just purchased Ruth to be my wife. I understand that in Old Testament Hebrew language, and this is incredible to me, but I've read they didn't have a word for the word yes. So in a case like this, when Boaz said, I purchased that lady, I redeemed that lady, I mean, instead of raising her hand up and saying yes, like we might, they said, we're witnesses. That was literally the word, witnesses. And my, I can't wonder and help but think that when they said we are witnesses, that everybody just broke out into a cheer. Boy, that must have been something to hear. Well, when they get their composure, they said, The Lord, watch this now, make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah. It'd be hard to find two more famous ladies in Bethlehem than Rachel and Leah. I, just like Ruth the Moabitess, Rachel and Leah were foreigners. Rachel had been one of the founding ladies in that place, famous in Bethlehem. And the Bible says not only to be like Rachel and Leah, but the Word of God says may Ruth be famous in Bethlehem, famous like Ruth and famous like Leah. Another one of their ancient ancestors was named Tamar. And my, is that just an incredible name in the Bible? Uh, just be one a good Bible study to do. Just look at the life of Tamar. Because I got to tell you, my human thinking, I would think that's not exactly the best example in the Bible. But you know, evidently the Lord had a different point of view. Because in the book of Ruth, and then again in Matthew chapter number 1, it's amazing how prominent Tamar was. If nothing else, she was a courageous woman. If nothing else, she was willing to step out and demand that people follow the Bible. And the Word of God tells us the people, can you imagine them shouting? And you imagine them singing? They said, witnesses, witnesses. Yes, sir, we have just watched that lady get redeemed. And now they say we want her to be famous in Bethlehem. Famous like Rachel. Famous like Leah. Famous like Tamar. Tamar, really, I don't think they imagined how famous Ruth could be. Excuse me, but last I checked, there is no book of Rachel in the Bible. And there is no book of Leah in the Bible. And of course, there is no book of Tamar in the Bible, but there is a book of Ruth. 3,300 years later, yesterday, across the world, there were Sunday school teachers that stood up, pastors that stood up, and they said, open your Bible to the book of Ruth. You talk about famous around the world. People know her story. Uh, you could well make the case that she might join Esther as perhaps the two most famous women in world history. They are right up there at the top. Famous, famous. Well, she had a great grandson named David, famous in Israel. Well, the Bible tells us she had an ancestor that was born in Bethlehem named the Lord Jesus Christ. Famous in Israel, forget that. Why, Ruth is famous worldwide. 
And the Bible tells us that if Ruth could stand here tonight with a smile on her face, she could tell us what it means to be redeemed. And the moment that Boaz said, I will redeem her, the moment that he says, your witnesses that I have purchased Ruth, I have redeemed Ruth, I, Ruth, could stand up and sing, I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed. I've got a brand new family. I've got a brand new fortune. I've got a brand new fame. But most importantly, most importantly, I have a brand new future. Would you go down to verse number 17? The Bible says the women, her neighbors, gave it a name that it is referring to their little brand new baby. There's a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, and of course, Jesse is the father of David. The years would go by, and one day a man called Nathan the prophet would say this to David. 2 Samuel 7, 16. Thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. Why, little did Ruth know that when they started talking about her future in Ruth chapter 4, and there's an Obed, and then there's a Jesse, and then there is a David, well, little did she know that that throne of David would be established forever. And it all boils down to a day that is yet in our future, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords, King Jesus, comes all the way from heaven on a white horse. He is coming to the city of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us how he'll enter through that eastern gate, and the Lord shall reign over all all the earth for 1,000 years upon this earth King Jesus is going to rule and reign in peace and righteousness like no time the world has ever known but that 1,000 years that's that's just the preface I that 1,000 years is just a warm-up following that 1,000 years it is the Lord Jesus the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Bible says his kingdom shall be forever he will rule and he will reign the King of Kings upon his throne and so when the Bible tells us that Ruth had a new future, well, it wasn't just a new baby. It wasn't just a new grandson that would come. It wasn't even just a wonderful great-grandson that would be used of God. No, no, her ancestor would be her Savior. And one day when the Lord Jesus would die on the cross and shed his royal blood, be buried in the ground, and when he rose from the dead, well, what Ruth and people in the Old Testament did, by faith they looked ahead to Calvary. They looked ahead to the day when the Lamb of God would pay the price for their sins. We have an easier road, I'm quite certain, because we have a completed Bible, and we can look back at Calvary and realize what Jesus did for us. For Ruth, it was the eyes of faith that looked ahead to the cross. For you and for me, it is the eyes of faith that look back on the cross. But my Savior is also Ruth's Savior. Your Savior tonight was Abraham's Savior. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who came from the seed of Boaz. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, this great, 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 great grandson of this lady Ruth, who would one day die on a cross so that Ruth could be eternally redeemed. Oh, Ruth would tell us tonight, since I have been redeemed, that's the greatest moment in my life. Oh, oh, she could tell us the second greatest moment in my life was when Boaz redeemed me, was when Boaz paid the price. And on this earth, I got a new family, a new fortune, a new fame, and I had a new future. But she could simply say, but you know, if you read Ruth 2 in verse number 12, you'll realize that one day I put my trust and my faith in the wonderful salvation of Almighty God. He stretched out his wings and like a mother, a, a, a mother eagle, I'm abiding under his wings. I am trusting in his wonderful love. I am trusting in his great mercy. And while Ruth could say, Boaz redeemed me down here, 
Far more importantly, he redeemed me in glory. Ruth could join you and join me tonight and say, I'm in the family of God. I'm a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a brand new fame. I'm a son, a child of the king. And of course, she has an eternal future with her Savior. Do you have that tonight? Can you say, I have been redeemed? You know, when it comes to going to heaven, it's astounding when you go to the Bible and realize that Jesus did not pay the price. He paid the entire price. And that's the difference. Because religion will say, well, Jesus died on a cross, but you've got to be baptized. Or religion will say, Jesus died on the cross, but there's a series of prayers you have to pray. Religion says, Jesus died on the cross, but of course, there's always the money you have to give. But heaven is not for sale, and heaven cannot be earned. It is not just that Jesus died on the cross plus. It is that Jesus died on the cross only. It is Jesus and only Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you say, I want him as my Savior tonight. Oh, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I'm condemned. All I have to do is look in the Bible and, and you know, the Ten Commandments. Well, actually, there's 613. Who's counting? But if we only go to ten, by the time we're done reading that list, I got to tell you, I got to bow my head and say, whoa, I'm in really bad shape here. Brother White would have to bow his head and say, bad shape, bad shape. Every single one of us would have to look at those Ten Commandments and say guilty, condemned. But despite the fact, even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price on the cross, was buried in the ground, and the Bible says that he rose again. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, not a church, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, not some religious work, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, he is the one and the only Savior, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. I am not depending on my church. I'm not depending on my minister. I'm not depending on my religion. I'm not depending on my parents. I am believing, trusting, depending only Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. You confess with your mouth, but you believe with your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a moment that is. All around this building tonight, people could stand up. My story would be growing up in a Christian family, wonderful mom and dad, growing up in a strong church that loved the Bible, but none of that could get me to heaven. One day as a boy, I had to call upon the name of Jesus, and he saved me. Pastor White mentioned briefly his story uh, to me earlier tonight in the Salvation Army. I, one by one, people have a testimony. People have a story. It was there. It was there. These are the circumstances. This is my story. This is my song. I was the sinner that was lost, but Jesus reached down in love and pulled me out of my sin, saved me, put me into his family, gave me the gift of eternal life. You talk to somebody who's going to heaven, the stories are all different, but there's one thing that's always the same. Jesus did it all. Heard of a little fellow one day, went up to his preacher. Little guy about yay high, seven or eight, he said, Preacher, he said, I want to get baptized. And the preacher was all worried. Did the fellow really understand what salvation meant? And he said, well, son, tell me, tell me what it means to know the Lord and be saved. And that little fellow looked up at his pastor. He said, well, pastor, he said, Jesus did his part. And I did my part. Oh, the pastor was a little worried about that, you know, because the biggest thing, the biggest obstacle to heaven is for people to understand not by works of righteousness, which I have done. So the pastor said, son, what do you mean you did your part? That little fellow looked up and said, well, pastor, he said, I did my part. I did all the sinning. 
Jesus did his part. He did all the saving. Exactly. I'm the guilty sinner, and in my church, in my religion, in my gifts, in my works, there is no hope at all. But the perfect Son of God died on a cross for my sins. Buried, He rose again. And now He offers the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The caveat is, He says, you don't come with works. You don't come with your religion. You don't come with your prayers. You don't come with your efforts. You don't come with your money. You don't come with the works of religion. You leave all that behind. You just come as a helpless sinner, kind of like Ruth was, awfully helpless. And you call upon Jesus, the Redeemer. And Ruth could say, well, down here, thanks to Boaz, I got a new family, a new fortune, a new fame, and a new future. But if she could stand here tonight with a bigger smile, she would say, Boaz was a great guy. But because of Jesus, well, I've got a new family, I've got a new fortune, I've got a new fame, but most of all, I've got an eternal future. Do you have that tonight? If not, there is nothing greater, there is no bigger joy we would have tonight than to just sit down with the Bible, the words of God, and let you see for yourself how you can know you have been redeemed, born into God's family.